Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to episode 39 of Destination Disaster. I am your host... Devin Carney. This week, we are going to be discussing the current Ebola outbreak in Uganda. While still relatively small, this strain of Ebola represents a real risk to the population and healthcare workers involved in the response to this outbreak. There are currently no vaccines, nor approved therapeutics for this strain. On September 20, 2022, the Ugandan health authorities announced the outbreak of the Sudan Ebola virus. While there is a vaccine for the more common strain of Ebola virus, the Sudanese strain is one that is without a vaccine which not only places the general public at greater risk, but the frontline health workers. Before we jump right into this outbreak, let's first learn exactly what Ebola is. Ebola virus is caused by the Filoviridae family of viruses, which also causes Quavovirus, Marburg virus, and Ebola virus, all of which are hemorrhagic fevers. These further subdivide into six species, the Zaire, Sudan, Typhorus, Bundibugyo, Reston, and Bombali. Thus far, the Restin and Bombali strains are not known to cause disease in humans. Structurally, filoviruses obtained their name due to their macroscopic appearance as filamentous viruses, from the Latin phylum for thread, often having a string-like or torus-like appearance. They have enveloped particles that contain a negative sense single-stranded RNA genome with genes arranged linearly. Additionally, they have a single glycoprotein spike on the surface and four structural proteins which include the virus-encoded polymerase. Filoviruses are highly contagious and spread quickly via human-to-human contact. They are considered a biosafety level 4 agent with very high mortality rates. Ebola itself spreads relatively quickly when in densely populated areas, hence the quick responses from global health agencies whenever an outbreak is announced. An outbreak concerning Ebola is the worst-case scenario. Since 1976, there have only been 20 known outbreaks. The first discovery of filovirus was in 1976 and since that time has had over 20 known outbreaks, mainly located in sub-Saharan Africa, in isolated rural areas, and focused around Sudan, Uganda, Democratic Republic of Congo, and Gabon. To date, the largest known outbreak occurred in West Africa from 2013 to 2016. This outbreak involved multiple countries, both rural and urban areas, and had a high mortality rate with over 28,000 infections and 11,000 deaths. 
However, this number may be optimistic as the actual number is thought to be much higher due to underreporting. Thus far, the Ebola virus outbreaks in humans have been constrained to African countries, but this could change easily with international travel, and secondary cases have been reported in Spain and the United States. Ebola virus is zoonotic, with fruit bats of the Pteropodidae family currently thought to be the natural hosts of the disease. In natural conditions, scientists have yet to isolate the virus in bats. Transmission to humans likely occurs when handling sick or infected forest animals. Secondary spread via human-to-human -human transmission occurs via a direct contact of infected bodily fluids. Infection typically occurs following contact with fluids or tissue, whether that be an animal or a human. The incubation period for Ebola virus is usually 5 to 9 days, but ranges from 1 to 21 days. Contact tracing is essential. People who have been exposed to Ebola virus within the past 21 days and who are asymptomatic need to be monitored for the duration of the incubation period with twice daily temperature readings to ensure rapid recognition of symptoms. If symptoms are detected, immediate isolation is essential. Healthcare workers suspected of being infected should be isolated and treated in the same way as any other patient until a negative diagnosis is confirmed. If exposure to bodily fluids from a patient with suspected infection has occurred, the person should immediately wash the affected skin surfaces with soap and water and irrigate mucous membranes with copious amounts of water. The patient's home and any personal belongings that might have been contaminated such as clothes, linens, eating utensils, and medical material should be disinfected or disposed of, usually by incineration. In epidemic area, the patient's home is sprayed with a 0.5% chlorine solution. There are typically three phases of illness, starting with a few days of nonspecific fever, headache, and myalgia, followed by a gastrointestinal phase in which diarrhea and vomiting, abdominal symptoms, and dehydration are prominent. In the second week, the patient may recover or deteriorate with a third phase of illness including collapse, neurological manifestations, and bleeding, which is often fatal. The most common symptoms reported between symptom onset and case detection in the 2014 outbreak were fever at 87.1%, fatigue at 76.4%, loss of appetite at 64.5%, vomiting at 67.6%, diarrhea 65.6%, headache 53.4%, abdominal pain, 44.3%, and unexplained bleeding, 18%. The high frequency of vomiting and diarrhea means that patients are often dehydrated and hypovolemic, particularly if they present late. Multi-organ dysfunction is common in advanced infection and includes acute kidney injury, pancreatitis, adrenal failure, and liver damage. Renal dysfunction is common in advanced disease but can be reversed with adequate fluid resuscitation in the initial stages. In early disease, it may be caused by dehydration, but in later stages, it may be a consequence of disseminated intravascular coagulation or direct damage to the kidneys by the Ebola virus. Massive bleeding, typically in the gastrointestinal tract, is usually only seen in fatal cases. Internal bleeding may be missed if there are no external signs. Signs that indicate severe or advanced infection include hiccups, hypotension, tachycardia, hepatomegaly, splenomegaly, confusion, and seizures. At present, Outbreaks of Ebola result in mortality rates of between 25 and 90 percent, with the average mortality rate during outbreaks being 50 percent. The Sudanese strain of the Ebola virus is the strain currently spreading throughout Uganda in this most recent outbreak. Microscopically, this strain resembles the Zaire Ebola virus strain the most. However, the Zaire strain is noted with having a far higher mortality rate amongst infected individuals of 90 percent, while the Sudanese strain is between 50 and 65 percent. First identified in 1976, the Sudanese strain has been identified in six outbreaks generally occurring in either Sudan or Uganda where it is endemic. The current outbreak occurring in Uganda is still relatively small with an official 48 cases being recorded as of October 10th. 
Due to the strain of Ebola currently spreading, there are no vaccines nor pharmaceuticals approved to treat this strain, leaving all at an increased risk of spread. Due to this, five airports in the United States have begun screening travelers from this portion of Africa where Ebola is currently active. The outbreak is still relatively small in size. More importantly, transmission has not been documented in densely populated areas. The spread of the ongoing outbreak to other areas within Uganda and or neighboring communities cannot be excluded. While one death has occurred in the capital city of Kampala, it concerns an individual who fled from the affected districts and passed away in the capital. The patient arrived in the city in a serious condition, which alerted the healthcare workers. Therefore, protective measures were applied. A total of 42 contacts have been identified. No other cases have been recorded in the city. As of October 10, 2022, and according to the Uganda Ministry of Health, 48 confirmed cases have been reported, including 17 deaths, of which were four healthcare workers. There have been 14 recoveries from Ebola virus disease, including five healthcare workers. There are an additional 20 probable deaths among individuals who died before a sample was taken. All cases reported outside Mubinde have an epidemiological link to the cases initially reported in Mubinde. Should any additional details arise out of this current outbreak, I'll be sure to inform you all. I believe that this current outbreak should expand our current conversation on Ebola and the risk of biological terrorism in the United States. I don't believe that our current mentality as a society is truly ready to experience a weaponized outbreak of Ebola, simply due to the misinformation that was spread rampantly throughout this country. As witnessed with COVID, we had a strict dividing line between those who believed the seriousness of this novel virus and those that simply believed it was a government hoax. I'm telling you now, Ebola is not something that we ever want to experience here in the United States, whether that be naturally or spread deliberately. If you haven't listened to my earlier episode on biological terrorism, I urge you to do so as I cover many topics there as well. Before we get into why I believe Ebola poses an enhanced risk to the United States, let's first look at some technical terms that are going to come up. Let's first take a look at what exactly biosafety levels are and why they are important safeguards for both the general population and the scientific personnel researching these diseases. Biosafety levels are a series of protections that are regulated by the Centers for Disease Control in the United States. In the United States, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have specified these levels. The levels BSL-1, 2, 3, and 4 are designated in ascending order by degree of protection provided to personnel, the environment, and the community. Standard microbial practices are common to all laboratories. Each BSL builds on and includes the biocontainment procedures and precautions employed at lower levels of containment. Selection of the appropriate BSL is based on a thorough biosafety assessment of the biological agents and laboratory procedural hazards that will be used in the laboratory. In addition, there are also designated biocontainment levels for laboratory work involving animals. These levels are ABSL 1, 2, 3, and 4 and are designed in ascending order. BSL 1 is suitable for work involving well-characterized agents not known to consistently cause disease in immunocompetent adult humans and present minimal potential hazard to laboratory personnel in the environment. Work is typically conducted on open bench tops using standard microbial practices. Special containment or facility design is not required, but may be used as determined by appropriate risk assessment. Laboratory personnel receive specific training in the procedures conducted in the laboratory and are supervised by a scientist with training in microbiology or a related science. BSL-2 is suitable for work with agents associated with human disease and pose moderate potential hazards to personnel and the environment. BSL-2 differs from BSL-1 primarily because 1. Laboratory personnel receive specific training in handling pathogenic agents and are supervised by scientists competent in handling infectious agents and associated procedures. 2. Access to the laboratory is restricted when work is being conducted 
and three, all procedures in which infectious aerosols or splashes may be created are conducted in BSCs or other physical containment. BSL-3 is suitable for work involving indigenous or exotic agents which may cause serious or potentially lethal disease as a result of exposure by inhalation. Laboratory personnel receive specific training in handling pathogenic and potentially lethal agents and must be supervised by scientists competent in handling infectious agents and associated procedures. All procedures involving the manipulation of infectious materials must be conducted within BSCs or other physical containment devices. A BSL-3 laboratory has special engineering and design features. BSL-4 is required for work with dangerous and exotic agents that pose a high risk of aerosol-transmitted laboratory infections and life-threatening disease. The next technical subject that we're going to cover is the Centers for Disease Control Biological Agent Classification Guidelines. These agents potentially can cause mass panic, mass casualty incidents that require an extensive response from both public health and first response agencies. The Centers for Disease Control has in turn categorized biological agents that pose the greatest risk to the general public. Ranked from A to C, these agents range from pathogens including anthrax, glanders, and nipovirus. Category A is classified as biological agents and pathogens rarely seen in the United States. These agents can be easily spread throughout the community and includes person-to-person -person contact. Additionally, these agents can cause public panic and social disruption, requiring special actions from public health agencies. These agents include anthrax, botulism, plague, smallpox, tularemia, and viral hemorrhagic fevers to include filoviruses, which include Ebola and Marburg, and arenaviruses, which include Lhasa and Machupo. Category B agents are the second highest priorities and include those that are easily able to disseminate, result in moderate morbidity and mortality, and require specific enhancements of CDC's diagnostic capacity and enhanced disease surveillance. These agents include brucellosis, Epsilon toxin of Clostridium perfringens, food safety threats such as Salmonella, E. coli, and Shigella, glanders, Psittacosis, Q fever, ricin toxin, Staphylococcal intertoxin B, typhus fever, viral encephalitis, and water safety threats. And finally, Category C agents include emerging pathogens that are potentially able to be mass engineered for biological terrorism due to their availability, ease of production, and potential for high morbidity and mortality rates. Those agents include Nipovirus and Hantavirus. Ebola, in my opinion, represents a true threat to the American people. When we watched coronavirus spread rampantly throughout the community due to misinformation and inadequate measures, we were incredibly lucky that it was only a coronavirus. Had it been something with a far higher mortality rate, we would be looking at a much different country right now. Ebola, on average, has a mortality rate of 50% between all previous outbreaks. COVID is only 1.1%. That is the average mortality rate, not the max. During each of the previous recorded Ebola outbreaks, the mortality rate ranged between 20 and 90%. The United States does have a robust and modern healthcare system compared to the sub-Saharan African countries that are faced with these endemic viruses. However, we cannot rely on that healthcare system to remain robust and ready. When we watched COVID sweep through the hospitals, it did so with ferocity and took aim at all in the healthcare setting. Ebola cannot be treated like COVID and requires far more PPE, therapeutics, and medical support than someone who is suffering from COVID. Most persons who are infected with COVID can simply remain at home and take antivirals or rest and stay hydrated. Ebola is not that. Those infected must be quarantined, have round-the-clock supportive care, and their homes sanitized and contaminated belongings incinerated. Due to the sheer size of the United States, I fear that once an outbreak begins, 
it will take a literal act of Congress to bring it under control. Contact tracing is fundamental in preventing the Ebola virus disease, and without proper protocols in place or ones that are outdated, we run the risk of continuously having to catch up and not being able to get ahead of it. I don't mean to stoke fear. I only mean to inform you. Ebola cannot land on the shores of the United States or any major city throughout the world for that matter, because it will spread and will lead to a pandemic that I'm not sure many would recover from. Thanks for listening this week. I want to apologize for my voice and parts of this recording as I am getting over COVID and still wanted to ensure that I got an episode out for all of you to listen to this week. If you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to rate it five stars and leave a review. I truly do appreciate all of you for listening each week. Be sure to follow the show on both Instagram and Twitter where the latest show updates will be provided to you. Until next week, this has been Destination Disaster. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.